Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we're talking our favorite albums of 2016. This is part two of a two-part conversation. So today we're covering albums number 10 through number one. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. You can learn more about the podcast at brotherpod.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter and Facebook for more info. Now let's get to number 10. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we are doing albums of the year 2016, and today we are doing number 10 through number 1. Unlike part 1 of the uh, podcast, we are doing 10 albums um, on part 1. as you, If you had listened and you may recall, we did, I believe, 11 of the top 10 albums of 2016. So this time uh, we brought in uh, a team of mathematicians and uh, we're ready to to correct uh, whatever uh, inconsistencies uh, we were, we were larded you with last time. Anyway, uh, number 10 and uh, number 10 is a Kevin Morby record. I think like most uh, top 20 uh, end of the year lists, uh, Kevin Morby is about four, Slots ahead of Beyonce's Lemonade. So anyway, uh, Christian, give us your take on Kevin Morby. Yeah, the uh, the incredible shame of um, putting eleven albums on our on our uh, last top ten podcast uh, has weighed heavily on me. But I have found some solace and uh, and refuge in this um, sort of escapist album, Kevin Morby's Singing Saw. Um, I gotta say, you know, I was thinking about what I was gonna what I was actually gonna talk about um, when this one came up because I, I really loved it. Uh, I I enjoyed it. I listened to it a ton. Really, sort of felt like I wore it out. Um, and then I thought, well, what do I really have to say that's interesting about it? Um, it's sort of it's one of those uh, one of those albums that really sort of occupies like an almost environmental um, has this sort of ethereal quality that I enjoy. Like I, I want to sort of be surrounded by it, but I don't necessarily um, think all that critically about any particular songs or uh, or any particular moments in it. Um, I think it's got some great driving bass lines, um, but really what I came down to was the story of where we first listened to it. Um, and I was actually out visiting you in LA, uh, and we just had lunch with our buddy, uh, Bob Maz. And, um, he said, Hey, if you haven't listened to, you know, if you haven't listened to the Morby album, check it out. The guy, uh, used to be the bassist for, uh, for the woods and he sort of went off on his own. And, um, it, right after lunch, actually, we were just driving around for the afternoon up in the Hollywood Hills and threw that on. And I realized like, Awesome, uh, awesome driving music. Perfect California music. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it was sort of seventies. Yeah, it's it's sort of seventies pop bliss. So I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you a, guys think? It's an album that sounds like a, a drive from the beginning to the end of Mulholland Drive. So uh, it was a it was a perfect um, of a piece with uh, where we were. And um, but that's that's kind of what it sounds like to me. It sounds like nineteen seventies. You know Laurel Canyon kind of sound that, but it doesn't sound uh, you know retro or contrived or anything like that. It, it sounds like a very natural, um, uh, you know, place for this guy to to be um, 
writing and recording music. So, Jerry, what were your thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to add anything too much. I, I, I enjoyed this album. I think it has everything you said. I liked his other album, too, and I think it's, it's another case of kind of like, um, you know, Father John Misty coming out of the Fleet Foxes and, and sort of finding his 70s groove. Not that they're similar in that sense, but... I really like Kevin Morby. I think it's a great album. It's an album I listen to. It's it's another one of those albums that I'll pop on just when I'm doing other things, and uh, I think it's definitely worthy of, of the uh, top twenty list. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely a uh, scenario where the part is greater than the sum of the whole. Um, as we on. proved, as we <laughs> proved uh, <laughs> with our arithmetic in the last one, yeah. But um, yeah. I also I just wanted uh, to plug the fact that I think you know it's it's definitely also worth checking out the the music video. There's a great music video for I have been to the mountain. Oh, is there? I'm too. Um, so I'll check song. it out. Yep. So Jer, number nine, Symbols Eat Guitars, <laughs> yeah. a band that I thought had disappeared. Yeah, well, exactly, and I, I think kind of it's funny these are sort of back to back, and I actually was surprised you guys obviously had this album on your list as well or else it wouldn't have made the points. But um, <clears throat> it's a band that I, I've liked pretty much since their first album, and, you know, I kind of grouped them in with Deer Hunter and some of these other kind of, you know, guitar sh- bands that that have come out and have sort of big sounds, but I, I never think of them, <laughs> just like you said, when they sort of disappeared, right? They're from Staten Island. At this point, it's really just the singer who's left, so I think they've changed lineups many times, and I think out of the original... From the original album, it's this guy, Joseph D'Agostino, who's the only guy in the band. Um, But, you know, consistently put out good records. And and again, this was a record that I I kind of was looking at albums of 2016 and and was like, oh, shit, I like these guys. I should listen to this. And again, it it lived up to it. I think the opener finally is really good. I think Wish is a great song. Um, They have some, like, straight-ahead sort of, like, louder punk rock stuff with songs like Beam on this album. And, uh, you know, I've seen um, Symbols E Guitars before. Um, I think they're, they're you know, consistently good band. I don't, you know, it's, it's funny. They're not really on the radar, though. Would you guys agree? Like, they sort of kind of creep out every year with R2 with an album, and, and it doesn't seem to kind of hit, hit the mainstream. They seem, they seem to be a because, band without a scene. Yeah. Yeah, and I think part of it may be, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've seen them since pretty much their first, I'm trying to think, their first tour is probably in 2008, 2009, um, with, uh, off that first record that they put out, which, you know, I, I feel like every single time they put out an album, it's actually, it gets critical acclaim. I mean, at least in our, you know, sort of, uh, uh, world of, of the regular sort of indie rock publications here, but like, um, it, they do that, but they've been playing the exact same size venues ever since I right. first started seeing them. Totally. And I, I don't really know, I don't know that that would change. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend this to people who, you know, don't go to those clubs, but like sort of the next step up, if you imagine. I just, I just yeah, don't see them necessarily the getting that popularity, but I love they're it. They're better than most of the bands that play those size venues, you know? So it's sort of, you're sort of like, why yeah. isn't this band doing more? I will uh, like your video shout out for Kevin Morby, which I'll definitely check out. I love the album cover of Pretty Years. If you guys haven't oh, yeah. seen it, it's just like a vacuum cleaner, yeah. a coffin, and a smoke machine, and some candles. So definitely worth checking out, which may have been the stage AKA. of one of those uh, clubs. Otherwise known as a Staten Island party. <laughs> it, it, it appears uh, or, to be a vacuum show. cleaner saying, <laughs> yeah, it, it appears to be a vacuum cleaner saying, no, I'm not getting in that coffin. <laughs> um, but 
the the song that I just wanted to point out was for for me. I thought Fourth of July, Philadelphia. Yeah, that's a great song. Sandy yeah, yeah. is like I loved that, and I mean that like it completely sold me on the. I, I mean, I enjoyed the first half of the album, I guess, but when I heard that song, I was just like, wow, this is actually. I mean, this is a really great tune. So, Definitely um, one of yeah. one of the best on the album. Yeah, they they were uh, they were always a band that I would throw on uh, a playlist, and then you know this is dating back to the uh, cave painting. Uh, years of iPods, but they were a band that would come on, and I'd be like, "Who the hell?" I would always forget who it was, and then I would have to go look at at the uh, song to and be like, "Oh yeah, that's who that is." These guys are good. Anyway, uh, next up, number eight, Christian. We're talking Grays, a Canadian band. Absolutely, and this is uh, this is really one of my. So these guys actually put out two albums this year, um, and the one that we're talking about is the first one they put out, which is called Outer Heaven. Um, and I, I really, uh, really love this and I, it, I, rocks. I, I, it so rocks. That's a great point, Wyndham. Um, and I, I would like to reiterate that point. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, there are a couple of, uh, couple, couple of quick anecdotes. I just, I think if you guys haven't read, um, Stuart Berman's review of this on Pitchfork earlier this year was actually, I thought really good. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, it was sort of one of the more fun reviews I read this year. Um, but Basically, you know, he he out, he talks about a couple of anecdotes which I thought were pretty funny. But one of them is that Toronto's apparently had this um, uh, had this thing called Death to To, which is a marathon um, party where twenty some local bands actually dress up as some iconic group or another and actually play twenty minute sets hmm. um, as that group. Uh, these guys apparently I don't know whether they drew out of a hat or chose. I would I suspect they chose, but they they got Smashing Pumpkins. Um, now, I can't think of a band that is more spiritually dissimilar to this band than the Smashing Pumpkins, um, as far as uh, self-seriousness is concerned, um, pace, everything. Oh, uh, the guitarist guys, lineup. Yeah, they, they could, I suppose. But um, just, I mean, seeing them actually, imagining these guys uh, uh, trying, to, trying to dress up as the Pumpkins is pretty funny. Um, in any event, I, you know, Gray's, again, uh, not a name that would necessarily stick out all that much, um, but uh, I've seen him perform a bunch in the last year, and I've got to say it's one of the, one of the most fun sort of uh, fun shows I've seen. Um, they've got these incredible sort of like guitar textures, I mean, which I do think, as you're right, lines up with the pumpkins. I did, um, was. I wasn't joking, yeah. But they've got much, so the, the thing that really distinguished this album from their previous stuff is just they've got they've really sharpened the the hooks um and they've got i think sort of more lyrical uh lyrical depth here than they had in the past so i mean that said it doesn't it doesn't compromise on any of the speed and intensity that makes for these slamming shows that i'm talking about and you know i I would highlight like i saw these guys open for the big ups at shea Mm -hmm. about a year ago and then uh actually last month um Saw him uh, open for Japan Droids at the Knitting Factory, which is which was an awesome show. Which I was also at alone on Halloween, um, but like so worth it. Um, so yeah, these guys uh, these guys kill it live. Um, great album. I think it's the best punk, pure punk album I probably heard this year. So yeah, I I, I really like it an awful lot. I uh, it wasn't that familiar with it, and then got to got familiar with it and was thrilled. I love it. Um, so next up. In, is number seven, and that is uh, Whitney. Um, and um, that falls. Oh, sorry, that falls to me. So uh, yeah, Whitney was my was my summer album. That was uh, um, I was out in uh, Nantucket 
uh, for the first part of the summer, and this album was out, um, and I just got it hooked on uh, songs like No Woman, um, and uh, I don't know, I, you know, no matter where we go, um, from the I'm sorry, from the album Light Upon the Lake. Um, I, basically, what what it was was um, I'd heard these albums. I didn't know who it was. I couldn't tell whether it was current or whether this was an older band uh, that I hadn't heard or I couldn't place. And nothing about it sounds of the moment necessarily. Um, but you know, it could be you know some they could they could be the long lost you know stepchildren of the band for Christ's sake. Um, but when I started listening to it, I just loved the guy's vocals and the the songs were hooky and they were just, they didn't sound like anybody else. And then I came to find out that they were formerly uh, members of Smith & Western. They were the Smith rhythm section, right? Uh, and Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Okay. And actually, it's the drummer that sings, um, uh, Julian Ehrlich. But... Um, I really wouldn't have associated with them with either either of those acts either Smith West because I wouldn't I wouldn't instinctively associate anything with either of those acts I wouldn't know where sort of where yeah, I'm shocked that those acts are even connected <laughs> yeah well I mean that's a funny thing but Smith Westerns to me were you know um, they're fuzzy you know, they were, guitar um, yeah garage rock pop, pop yeah 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 garage rock band and. You know, and I also thought, you know, I'd seen them a handful of times. I think I reviewed them at one point um, uh, for Blurt or somebody. And they were, you know, they were kids. They were, they were a very young band. They were, and so I, you know, the, the, um, the sort of old soulness of, of uh, Whitney just by no means tipped me off to, to where this, where these guys came from. That said, I, you know, I, I, it was a great album to drive around to uh, for the bulk of the summer. It's a great summer so, album. Wh- it's a yeah. yeah. You you are a total sucker for falsetto as well, which I like. I am, um, and you know, I, I think this uh, this hits that pretty well. Um, so you said uh, Ehrlich is you know he's got a he's got a great sort of super high voice, um, and you know I think his delivery is his delivery is really strong. Um, I, I have to say I, I saw these guys and wasn't totally so impressed by it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but they were pretty funny about it partly because they played 10 songs and then at the end of the 10 songs said, please don't clap for an encore. We literally only have 10 songs. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what happens when you put out your first album. I will say I, I'm super excited for these guys moving forward, partly because, um, you know, this is, this is their, what they're both, I think 23 or something. I mean, that was, that was sort of the, the big backstory on the Smith Westerns that was so impressive to everybody. Right. It was the fact that they were 17 or 18 yeah, I think 16, yeah, they 17 were, was, they were young. Yeah, they were, right. I think they were a high school band. Yeah. Right, so there's nothing to make you feel like the old guy in the audience at the at the ripe old age of 28. Um, yeah. when, you, when you walk in and sort of, you know, the guys are cracking jokes about the fact that, well, we've been in a band for the last seven or eight years. But but, um, but that's the thing about these guys is I think they have like a legitimate, I mean, a, a sort of 70s AM quality to them. Yeah. There is like, I mean, in the, the in the, you know, the sort of, um, 70s AM that people really point to and gripe about, you know, the sort of bread or, um, you know, 
America kind of uh, sound, but it, here it you know it's a re- it's refreshing. It sounds good. The songs are good and it's smooth you know, and melodic. Yeah, yeah. You know me. I I'm a sucker for seventies AM. So um, no, and I mean you you've got to you've definitely got to give uh, you know give uh, say that these guys have really strong prospects just because I mean anybody who has that level of professionalism that young I think you know just has an incredibly bright bright future. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. Anyway, uh, moving on, number six, Jeremy. Yeah. Tribe. So from our old friends, Tribe Called Quest, and... uh, Kick it. Can I kick it? It was uh, shocking to me that this album is as good as it is, and 18 years since the last Tribe album. And and i got to say, Tribe, who I am a huge, huge fan of, probably my favorite hip-hop group of all time, and we've talked about them in in past pods, um... You know, they didn't go out on necessarily a high note. A love movement was kind of a, a meek goodbye, and and uh, and then they sort of disappeared. Obviously, Q-Tip did his, did a bunch of different stuff, and so when I heard this album was coming out, I was kind of like, eh, you know, same way that I am with most aging groups or, or stars or rockers or whatever you want to call them, uh, hip hoppers, and. Uh, Talk about aging gracefully. I mean, first of all, R.I.P. to to Fife and uh, Fife Dog, and so I was even I, w- I kind of wasn't aware that that this album was in the works. And then, <laughs> it's sad. This shows my age. I was I was on a work trip and I was listening to NPR in my rental car, <laughs> and they did a review of <laughs> a tribe called Quest, and I was like, oh, this sounds very good. You know, sounds quite uh, you know uh, reminiscent of back in the day, and. Uh, but uh, it's a it's a kick ass album and and we've we've kind of name checked it a few times and and you know definitely worthy of of top five top ten albums for sure and and shockingly so I mean Fife and, and Q Tip sound fantastic they have uh, Busta Rhymes sounds you know as fresh as ever um, they have lots of other guests on this as well I think um, Kanye I think uh, Kendrick you know lots of lots of hip hop folks on this album. Some of my favorite tracks, We the People is amazing, Whatever Will Be just so blows good. me away. Um, Kids is great. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, this album really excited me again and, and actually brought me back to the Tribe catalog, which, you know, this pod has as well as we've been kind of talking about classic albums and sophomore surges and things of that nature. But, um, yeah, shocked is all I can say. And, and definitely yeah. one of the best albums of the year by far. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. This was an album with an I mean, sorry, this is a year with an abundance of of you know sort of resurge you know uh, late career albums from people like uh, you know dearly departed uh, David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, uh, but the, you know the Stones have a new album. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of late career records coming. I think Dylan had a new album this year. Um, I don't think of the Tribe album as requiring a sliding scale. Like, this is pretty good for an aging hip-hop band. I think it's just a damn good album, full stop. I don't think it requires any sort of mercy um, from... I mean, certainly, uh, Tribe doesn't need our our permission. Uh, uh, But they definitely came, you know... Guns blazing. This is this isn't uh, um, this doesn't sound like a late career album to me. No, and I I was a little. I mean, I, I have to admit, I was a little skeptical when I saw the types of 
the types of publications that were reviewing it so positively to start with. I mean, it, look, before this even came out, I could have told you right off the bat that Rolling Stone was going to give this four stars. You know what I mean? It's like there are certain things that you knew, like, they were going to love it um, because they wanted the excuse to talk about the legacy. Uh, what I think really surprised me was when I dug into it myself, I was like, you know what? I, I should just... I should just shut up. It's not my not my place to criticize um, because absolutely, like these guys came out with an album that really stands up to their earlier stuff and belongs in that canon, like in the right. same breath, despite an eighteen year gap, which is insane. I mean, that's you know uh, that that's an incredible amount of time. Um, I, I will say it's kind of funny to me though that that Buster Rhymes sounds so different now. Uh, that like his voice has just completely changed. He's still got the same sort of incredible like speed and precision in his flow, but um, but his voice is so much deeper now than it used to be, which is pretty funny. No, definitely, and, and uh, yeah, you know what I think is cool about this album is, and, and being a huge Tribe fan is. I think Tribe's first three albums were amazing, and their last two were, you know, mediocre. And then I, I'm not a fan of the Love Movement, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, I think this album blows. This is the proper number four to the the first three masterpieces, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that's a pretty powerful statement right there. I agree. Uh, and with that said, let's uh, let's take a break, and we'll be back with our top five of 2016. Welcome back to Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we are doing part two of our year-end 2016's album of the year. And we are down to our top five. So, um, number five, Angel Olsen, My Woman. I love this album. Um, I think it has the single of the year in Shut Up, Kiss Me, which I actually heard for the first time with Christian. Um, It has a bunch of really sort of interesting um, different kinds of uh, songs that, you know, don't necessarily fit the Angel Olsen um, catalog uh, thus far. It's a much more uh, experimental, I guess, but it's not, it's very accessible, so it's hard to say experimental. It's just a, it it spread its wings a little bit more. Angel Olsen, I found uh, up until now, was a beautiful singer, has a great voice and but her arrangements were very spare uh very tended towards the acoustic and this has a lot more electronic uh sort of synth um pieces on it uh stuff like the intern which is the album opener which is a you know a moody uh, i think a beautiful piece it wouldn't seem very out of place on the twin peaks soundtrack back in the early 90s 
Um, she's got a couple albums. I'm in a couple songs towards the end of the album, including Sister uh, and Woman that are, you know, almost eight minutes long and, and sort of spiral into uh, more chaotic uh, guitar heavy jams at the end um and you know all in all i mean the the sort of uh the thing that that is sort of binds the whole record together and binds her entire catalog and and makes her a singular talent is that she just has a tremendous voice and a great ability to deliver a song kind of in the way a country singer does but not she's not a country singer but the way that you can convey emotion without doing the sort of vocal Olympics uh, that a lot of pop singers do. You know, she's got, you can tell she's she's absolutely packing the ammo to do it, but she is uh, more reserved, and I think it makes a much stronger case for the songs that she's singing. What do you guys think of Angel Olsen? Yeah, I, this was my number one, so I, I love this album, and uh, I think it's, I think Christian, you probably turned me on to this one as, as well, and, and with Shut Up and Kiss Me, which was a song that I put on, you know, every playlist since I heard it and listened to constantly. But I think the great thing about this album, and I think what what kind of I always think of my top five or or best albums of any year is albums that I go back to. So that you know, we've we've name checked a, a bunch of great albums on this list, and and there's others that we have left off, obviously. But this is an album I constantly go back to and, and listen to quite a bit. And, and, uh, I don't, I didn't know a lot about angels and I mean, I'd heard her in the music press and kind of the hype around her. Um, I think I might've heard some early songs and they were, you know, not to be harsh, but a little boring to me musically. And, uh, I found that I think this album just is, it's really perfect to me. I, I there's not a bad song on it. I, yeah, I, the the only thing I would add, I mean, I share in your guys' uh, enthusiasm about this totally. Um, I think it was great. Uh, I, I'm glad that we clarified, for my sake, the lyric. Um, yeah. Shut up and kiss me, um, uh, which I originally believed was shut up and kiss me, uh, you retard. But, of course, that would not be appropriate. Um, I, I think... Uh, I think, you know, the thing that really strikes me about this is the way that the album was sort of put together is, is um, there is there is a clear sort of side one um, and side two to this, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I, I think, you know, the first half is definitely sort of more energetic and, and has, I think, a sort of stronger driving rhythm section, bigger guitars, that sort of thing. Um, whereas I think the, the second half is a little bit more reflective in a way that, like, her, you know, is... is I think more consistent with some of the, the music of her past. So, um, I, I like that about a record. You know, I think that when you're listening to something top to bottom, particularly when you're listening to many, many, many things in a row, top to bottom, as we have both or all, all three of us have been doing, excuse me, for, for the last couple of weeks, um, in preparation for these pods, uh, this is sort of one that, that like, it's still a joy to come back to because it, it has such a sort of clear, uh, clear structure to it. I think to me, I like it. We all like it. Number four, Christian, tell us about Mitski. All right. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one. I actually just saw her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, How's she live? In, well, I, I would say that I like the album better than I like her live. Um, and this is, uh, you know, I say, first of all, I just, I hope this isn't a boring way to start the discussion, but I do have a soft spot for her, I think, partly because uh, because of the pedigree. And, you know, here, so she's a, she's a SUNY Purchase product. 
Um, and uh, I, I think I've actually I've got to shout out a friend, uh, Joanna Van Asselt, who I saw the show with, um, who uh, who told me when we were there a few weeks ago that, that she was another SUNY Purchase kid. And um, the same as Level Up and, and the guys who do Double Double Whammy. Um, but and of course, uh, Joanna's brother, Matthew, is in this band Real Life Buildings, who were contemporaries of hers who were same same class at, at SUNY Purchase. So it's like kind of a I mean the connections are all are all kind of nice, but she's definitely feels like a local product for that reason. Um, and came up uh, on double double whammy actually before um, before jumping off to uh, to a, a different label. I mean I think to, to dive into the music here, I would say the thing that I love about this, um, aside from the fact that one of the extraordinarily rare likable sax pieces I can imagine anywhere in all of music, maybe in the opening track, Happy. Um, but I think that what really gets me about this is just, it's, it's, she has such an unusual delivery. Um, and I, I'm still sort of figuring it out, I think, but she can really, I, I, I think she just, she wrings every last drop of emotion and anxiety out of, uh, out of a lyric. And, you know, that, that to me is sort of what, what carries this and, and, it, you know, it's really deserving of, of such a such a high place on our list. What do you guys think? She kind of reminds me a little bit. Of, I mean, and, and not necessarily, um, you know, sound for sound, you know, measure for measure. But she kind of reminds me a little bit of Saint Vincent. Um, just unusual song structures, things that go places. You know, songs that go places you're not expecting them to. Uh, things that go big when you're not necessarily expecting them to, and also just a, I think you know both uh, artists, you know, um, Annie Clark from St. Vincent and um, Mitski both have you know the the vocal chops to to pull that kind of thing off. So, you know, to me, um, they, they were sort of they're very catchy and they're very accessible, but they're also very unusual. And that's the hallmark, I think of a St. Vincent record. And I think Mitski does the same thing. Yeah. I, I agree well. with the uh, unpredictability of this album. I, 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 I think it's well worthy of a top five placement. I, I love this record. It's another record like angels. And that I, I continually go back to and kind of unearth, you know, sort of a new song or a new, you know, uh, hook that I wasn't quite aware of. And she does a great job of the quiet, loud, you know, kind of classic. Dynamic. Yeah, Pixies or, or Nirvana to that matter of, you know, a song that starts off sort of delicate, soft and gets really rocking and and um, raucous, but really melodic. And uh, definitely top five for me. I love this album. Awesome. Uh, well, it was number four and now we're at number three, which is Margot Price, Midwest Farmer's Daughter. Uh, I got this, I picked up this album when I was out in LA in the spring. Um, and just kind of, it's, it's a funny, uh, record because it, it, it kind of spells out to you where the album's going. I mean, uh, Hands of Time, the first song on the album is almost like an overture. Uh, it basically tells the life story of Margot Price uh, she is a Midwest farmer's daughter. Uh, the father had to sell the farm or they lost the farm and dad became a, a prison guard and, you know, country songs go downhill from there. Uh, she drank a lot and doesn't do that anymore. It sounds like she got her, you know, uh, has felt like she had to sleep around, uh, in Nashville to, to try and get ahead. Uh, this town gets around as sort of a takedown of Nashville that, that retraces those steps and 
you know, the, the like I said, the, the hands of time sets a table for the whole record. The rest of it kind of fills in the blank. And it, it, in a weird way, it, it's, um, you know, it's a great piece of storytelling in just in the song sequencing itself. Uh, I, you know, again, this is another one of those, and I keep saying this about records that I, and I, and I mean this entirely uh, in a positive way, I would I could hear this being a top forty record in the seventies. This to me, you know, back when the charts weren't as um, you know segregated by genre, uh, back when you used to get you know uh, Blue Oyster Cult and uh, Disco on the same you know top ten list. Uh, this is you know this is one of those albums that that sounds like a Jesse Coulter or. Uh, you know, one of the crossover country acts from from the '70s that would have been a top ten uh, record simply because of the strength of the songs. Um, I again, I really love it. I think she sings beautifully. Uh, the album itself has those sort of mellow tones that come with sort of uh, you know electric piano um, and you know, strings here and there, but it, it's got a, it's just got a nice vibe. Uh, very uh, lived in, very comfortable. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's right in my sweet spot. S- it's a uh, sorry, Christian. Go ahead. No, shoot. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, I think you've you've kind of nailed it. It's it's that it really reminds you of that kind of classic. I think there's two amazing periods in country music and seventies and and sort of the early sixties. You know, being the two and and uh, this album completely kills it. When I first listened to it, I kind of. Felt like it was a little bit sort of, uh, I don't know. I mean, I love the music. I loved everything, but I felt like her lyrics maybe were a little bit of a, an act. But after reading her backstory and realizing that that's actually her story, um, you know, I, I, I gained a new appreciation. But I think like Lydia Loveless, you know, th- this woman has a, a super bright future. And, and uh, this is a, a great, great record. And, and kind of nails that my favorite my personally my favorite sound of that kind of country rock sound yeah i think the parallel is more of sturgill rather than lydia loveless because i think margo price is somebody who's kicked around for a number of years had a couple deals fall through and is sort of making it uh a little bit um at a you know slightly later yeah no and and she's uh, she initially intended she's somebody that i didn't realize had been around as long as she had and then then um I kind of read more into it and was like, you know, pleasantly surprised that, that she's put her time in. There is there is a great. I mean, it, it it really enhances. I think some of the traditional themes in in country, and particularly some of the traditional themes in outlaw country. And Jeremy, I know you can talk about this for for hours, Days. and and we look forward to. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, you know, yeah, kicking around town for a while and being kind of a veteran and having that having a history and a and a real one and a hard one. Um, is I think you know is all uh, is all sort of part of the, the the credibility and it legitimizes the music and and you know I think first of all her lyrics like they're they're clever they're sharp I mean I think she writes really good songs um, I love the the pedal steel guitar that you get in, in a handful of these um, I, I do think as well uh, Wyndham you mentioned you know it's got that 70s vibe like I also think she's not afraid to sort of embrace that. Um, mm. and, and all of the aesthetic that you see, 
um, from her, you know, album cover and, and, you know, go check out the website, um, margopraise.net. But I mean, you know, it's like, she, it looks like an Emmylou Harris, uh, album. Yeah, that's exactly you know. the, the, the uh, parallel I would draw is Emmylou. I really, so, and I really like Huge, it. huge fan of this. Can't recommend it enough to literally everybody who's got any inclination to like country music, so. Yeah, and if you don't, you know, if you're not sure whether you're, you know, really going to love all of this uh, stuff, you know, check out our Spotify playlist. We're going to put one together for each part of this uh, best of 2016 pod. Again, it's a two-parter. So we'll be putting together two separate Spotify playlists to give you a sampling of what we think are the the highlights of all of these records. Um, Jared, uh, next up, number two. Uh, We're getting close to the end of our countdown. Wow. Number two, Chance the Rapper, Coloring Book. Yeah, so Chance with Coloring Book. And I, I almost feel like I should pass this one to Christian because he, he sort of um, allowed me to delve deeper into Chance the Rapper. But I, uh, you know, the, the only unsigned artist to ever appear on Saturday Night Live, um, Chicago's own Chance. And this is an album that just kind of, you know, he had had a lot of sort of underground buzz and, and obviously um, mixtapes and his first album, Acid Rap which uh, was put out independently, you know, garnered tons of critical acclaim and, and attention. And so, you know, I think it was no surprise. And, and I actually think some of that stuff might even surpass Coloring Book as far as, um, you know, my likes and, and things that I think that he did. But this album blew me away. It was 2016 was a tough year, as, as we all know. And I don't know, something about this album just really, I think Andy Greenwald on the um, the Ringer pod you know, said this is rap that your your mom can listen to, and and I, I felt really uplifted by this album. Um, all we got on headphones, the opening track, the first time I put it on, it just it just made me happy. And I think sonically, musically, and then also Chance has got a really just cool flow and uh, rap style. And, and like people like Kendrick Lamar, he's he's sort of he's just big in scope, even though being very grounded and and very kind of. Uh, you know, underground. Uh, I think the first three tracks, no problem. Summer friends. Um, I love mixtape. You know, and lots of guests on this album, including you know one of my favorites, Justin Bieber, but other uh, people with more street cred as well. It, it's just a cool album that that features lots of you know jazz, um, cool samples. He's got sort of a gospel. gospel, yeah, exactly. Sort of a religious undertone here and. It, it's been a long time since there's, I think we talked earlier about Danny Brown being kind of unique in the sense that he's sort of realism of, of ghetto life. And I think Ch- this album is unique in the sense that it, it brought back sort of a positive uplifting, um, sound and message to hip hop and to music. And, and, uh, definitely, you know, I, I believe it was number two on my original list and it's number two here and, and, uh, an album that I love. It's, it's not, you know, I, I think Great artists are, are often people who sort of you know take take whatever the consensus is, take whatever the status quo is, and kind of flip it on its head. And the consensus and the status quo right now, um, and and for a while, I feel has just been you know one of sort of growing agitation and frustration and negativity. You're absolutely right. And this is like just out of the opening gate. I mean, first of all, you look at the album cover, and and it's the artist has talked about how it's a uh, the way that he was able to get you know chance to sort of. Um, to to have such a sort of warm smile on his face was by holding his daughter. Um, and that opening track, which is just such, be- I mean, it's beautiful. It's it's church music. It's gospel. It's 
like through and through. That's all it is. Um, and there's an uh, there's a great video of this uh, of, of him playing this in like the BBC studio, um, which is definitely worth checking out. But you know, I think it, it's a it's a testament to the fact that he you know when the world wants to go negative right now, he's somebody who has I, I think in his case part of it's sort of the faith but but also um you know has the has the artistic vision to to go positive against the grain and say you know uh that we can we can sort of do better and it's a, it's a really powerful message it's a great album i loved it so like church music and and the sort of warmth and reverence and love of of jesus rather than the crushing wagner <laughs> yeah. than, rather than the aforementioned mumbling eucharist giving uh, <laughs> right. priests well, there are a lot of your of, childhood a lot, of, a lot of different churches out there yeah exactly so maybe let's say the gospel choir not exactly the church of my youth i had the yeah. mumbling angry priest but there you go <laughs> anyway well that takes us down to number two and we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to do number one for night for uh, 2016. <laughs> wow, almost took us away back. Uh, and um, and a little bit of what are you listening to? So let's take a break and we'll be right back. Hey, this ain't no intro. This the Andre. Hit that intro with Kanye. I sound like Andre. Trying to turn my baby mama to my fiance. She like music. She from Houston, like Auntie Yonce. Man, my daughter couldn't have a better mother. If she ever find another, you better love her. Man, I swear my life is perfect. I can merge it. If I die, I'll probably cry in my own service. Ah, it was a dream. You cannot mess with the pain. This is like this many rings. Y'all know what I mean. This for the kids of the king of all kings. This is the holiest thing. This is the beat that played under the word. This is the sheet that they like with it hurt. This is officially first. This is the third. This is a Welcome back to Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. We are in the midst of part two of the albums of the year 2016, and we are finally down to our number one album of the year. Uh, I would ask for a drum roll, or I would think it would be turning midnight on New Year's Eve, but alas, it is neither one of those things. Uh, Christian, tell us about the number one album of 2016, according to Brother, Brother, Brother. It is Car Seat Headrest, Teens of Denial. Um, and for this, you know, I, I think, look, be, being every age is pretty hard. Um, and like Jeremy, I'm sure that raising kids is going to be hard. And when we're all in our 80s or whatever, watching your friends pass away, Nick Cave, I'm sure, can talk about this, you know, is, is going to be hard. Um, but I don't know about any of those things personally, and I can't really care about that. Um, what I can tell you is that, you know, being aimless and unmotivated in your 20s can be hard um, and in a way that I understand. And, and this record really does connect, I think, in a personal way to something that a lot of people go through at, at that particular time. Um, and so, you know, Will Toledo is this guy uh, from Virginia, from Leesburg, um, and a, a William & Mary grad actually, you know, delivers an album that's that's at its core, I think, uh, just a beautifully written and powerfully executed uh, album about self-doubt. And he, you know, it's it's a tried and true theme in, in indie rock, um, and it's something that we've seen for decades. Um, it doesn't get old, but you have to do it well. 
Um, so, it, you know, in terms of how I came to this, Vincent was the song that, that I first heard. It was literally all I needed. Uh, I remember I, I was standing in the room that I'm in right now, um, and I heard that song, and, and, like, at the end of it, my first thought was, holy shit, I need to call Wyndham and Jeremy. So with that, I turn it over to you guys. What do you think of this? Yeah, I'm a good one. Go ahead, Jer. No, I mean, I think any age, really. It's I'm not in my 20s. <laughs> Just entered my 40s, and you know, I mentally often feel like I'm I'm right there. And I think that uh, this album really spoke to me. I love the song Vincent. It for me, it's that rare mixture of. Great rock, good delivery, and, and excellent, excellent lyrics. And, um, you know, Fill in the Blanks was the first single I heard, and just the, the chorus of, like, you have no right to be depressed, you got to try harder. What You know, I can't paraphrase in here, but I, I just I love the, the, the chorus of that song so much and enlist that song on repeat and then was pleasantly just, you know, enthralled with the rest of the album. But I, I you know, kind of echo your sentiment. It's it's sort of an ageless classic to me. And, and um, you know, I, I think rightfully so, the best album of the year. Like I said early on, for me, albums of the year, I mean, I think there was a lot of good stuff this year. I think there was a couple greats, and this certainly falls into the great category for me. And that really means that I, I kind of, you know, have a feeling around the album and also go back to it constantly. And can't remember exactly when this album dropped, but it's an album that I since it dropped. I, I've consistently played, you know, I would say maybe if not weekly, close to it. Yeah, this was another summer album for me. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the car this summer. I uh, was living in a house for a little while that didn't have a phone, so I had to drive to places where I I could get reception. And and this album came with me a lot of the time. Um, Drunk drivers, killer whales. Uh, the the line is. Um, you have no right to be depressed. You haven't tried hard enough to like it. Thank you. And uh, I just, I don't know. It was, it's its that perfect combo for me, too. It's uh, its a little bit of guided by voices. There's a little bit of absurdism in the lyrics. There's a lot of hooks. Um, you know, there's uh, song, you know, there's songcraft. There's lyrics that, you know, make sense and, and compel you to feel a certain way. And... Uh, there's songs that you can scream along to when you're uh, driving along, and I would say there's I'm, at least one one moment in every song that you can scream along to, yeah, which which is much. definitely a plus. Yeah, so. I was going to paint the picture of uh, drive, you know, driving around um, in an eight seat minivan, which is what I I had rented uh, for me. Uh, at the beginning of the summer, and so driving around in that thing was about as uncool and clunky as you can get and for whatever reason I was just screaming along with this album and it made me feel good uh, and a lot and I didn't really give a shit what anybody saw when they looked over so there you go that's because you're in Nantucket um, but also I, I think uh, you know it's it's worth like it, it's worth noting that you know I think anything that gets the top album of the year deserves to be I mean it, it, it necessitates an album that you appreciate in a different way each time you hear it. Um, and, and this really, I think, is the perfect example of that. Like, so I came to it through um, Vincent, I think, which was, you know, was my first favorite, then uh, Fill in the Blank, then uh, Drunk Driver's Killer Whales, absolutely uh, made it on there. But, you know, I find myself going back to it um, now and, and, you know, finding that 
literally any track on the album is is sort of a favorite of mine and and it's you know it's all committed to memory at this point um lyrics wise uh but uh but it really is something that i think you know you can sort of grows on you um from an already you know very high sort of entry point so i think that's sort of one of its best features That is, uh, that's it. And I, I, you know, have a sneaking suspicion this is one of those albums that is going to remain in heavy rotation for several years to come. So I think we settled on the right one for number one. And with that, I will, uh, um, we would bid farewell to our our countdown uh, of the uh, 2016 albums of the year. And just, uh, you know, for the... uh, uh, for the to to cap off the pod, uh, what are you listening to these days, Christian? So I am. Uh, I actually just finished up the basically marathoning um, the Netflix show The Crown, um, which uh, which I absolutely loved. And I, so I'm. I got to say, I'm not somebody who ever watched Downton Abbey. Um, I am somebody who loved Gosford Park and thought it was just like one of the you know funniest damn movies I'd I'd seen in a long time. Um, as as you guys obviously know, you know my background. I you know English parent, same one as you, uh, Wyndham. But um, but also went to went to boarding school over there for a couple of years in high school, and um, sort of got to see as a from a weird sort of spectator standpoint um, this uh, this sort of elitist like high British society, um, you know, close up and and sort of. Um, you know, stare it in the eye for, for a couple of years. It is a really fascinating, um, show for that reason. I mean, it really addresses sort of the, the institutional politics of, of the, of the monarchy that makes it sound really boring. Um, but, uh, but in point of fact, it's all about, you know, it's all about personalities and it's, uh, it's really well acted. I thought, um, historically accurate. So, you know, I, I, I had a ball with this over the uh, Thanksgiving week and I think uh, anybody else with a with a long rainy weekend to kill would would do well to sit down with yeah, this so it's beautiful too it's the most expensive uh, show that Netflix has ever done and uh, I think it is proof positive that human nature is human nature and you can dress it up in any number of outfits and it's still uh, you know the 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 good bad and the ugly of people is going to come through uh, Jared what are you listening to these days 
So um, not not listening to. I enjoyed the crown too, by the well way. But um, I just finished reading Moby's uh, biography or first part of I think what's going to be a two part biography, Porcelain, and. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. You know, I, I'm kind of like a lukewarm Moby fan. He obviously was a, a big part of uh, the music scene when I was uh, in my 20s and, um, you know, loved play and, and liked some earlier songs. But I, I thought it was it was a fun kind of look at the late 80s, early 90s sort of dance music scene, a scene that I, I kind of admired from afar. I was never quite a part of. Um, but he did validate some of the, <laughs> the classic house tracks that I had I had liked and heard, um, you know, growing up in New Jersey and, and uh, dance parties and things of that nature. But uh, I just thought it was a pretty well-written book. I mean, there's things about Moby that are that are always going to irritate the shit out of me. Uh, one being, yeah, vegan, uh, Christian, white, Darianne, um, many things. But but in general, I found it to be a, he's a good writer and, and, you know, had enough sense of humor to poke some fun at himself. And then also just kind of an interesting time period of a, a subculture of music that... Like I said, I, I sort of uh, brushed um, arms with, but it was never a part of and, and enjoyed kind of learning more about. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, fun. At one of these days, we're going to have to do a pod where, you know, we talk about how, um, you know, 10 years before you always seems like the greatest time in, in the world's history. And, and when you're going through a period in real time, it always seems like you're getting the shit end of the stick. I mean, I actually uh, was hanging out in the same clubs that Moby was DJing in back in the late 80s, early 90s. And, um, you know, we thought we'd missed everything, uh, that nothing cool was ever happening and, and that we were just going out and it was drudgery. And in fact, you know, people who came along 10 years later look back at that as the halcyon days of, of New York nightclubs, which I guess it kind of was. Um, Perhaps you need easily impressed younger brothers uh, who you can peddle these stories to later in life. <laughs> oh, I've got some funny stories that uh, that don't involve you guys. Where you know people just, you know, it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, or uh, anyway, uh, stories for stories for another pod. Um, I actually uh, haven't been. Uh, I think we just ran through a lot of what we've been listening to. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go book again and. Um, uh, at your insistence on uh, in trying to understand the 2016 election, I, I read Hillbilly Elegy, which um, it's a it's an interesting uh, take. Uh, it's a it's a memoir by J.D. Vance, and it's basically uh, you know one person's story of um, growing up in in relative um, you know sort of sub you know. Uh, small town midwestern southern poverty with um you know uh lightly literate uh um grandparents and a drug addicted mother and uh all of that sounds heavy but it it's you know it's fairly uplifting but i think it it does i think he, uh his point in writing the book was really trying to put a, a focus or give a perspective from uh, the people who felt very disenfranchised, the sort of um, uh, small town Rust Belt, uh, you know, hovering around the poverty line, uh, yeah, white it's... Americans that uh, felt very disenfranchised and, and felt like they were, uh, were part of a movement this year. So it gave a little bit of um, understanding or a little bit of clarity to uh, the feelings that, uh, you know, seem to be to mystify 
the media. Everyone, everyone on cable news, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and really led a lot of people to make a lot of uh, very uh, misguided uh, projections. So I have a fun, I have a, an interesting sort of question here for you. I mean, J.D. Vance, okay, conservative, um, definitely. Uh, grew up in Middletown, Ohio, ended up getting out of Middletown, Ohio, and sort of out from under the shadow of, you know, the, the very much what he describes as this hillbilly upbringing of, of Kentuckian um, uh, family that's, that's, you know, very committed to loyalty but very much anti-establishment in its behavior. Um, he is, of course, uh, a, a very sort of, I think, cerebral guy um, and one who sort of sees the, the big populist surge for what it is. Um, and of course, you know, he called it out a year ago, two years ago, um, uh, when he was writing this book and he sort of said, yeah, this guy, I mean, Trump's going to win. Like, it's not, I mean, if, if you, if you've been to the Midwest, which by the way, CNN reporters, you have not, um, this is, this is how it's going to go down. You forget how big that part of the country is. Um, and I think the, the question that I wanted to pose to you guys is who do you think is listened to less by their own demographic, uh, Kendrick Lamar in Compton or J.D. Vance in Middletown, Ohio? That is a question I feel like I have no, <laughs> no ability to answer whatsoever. Like but a I fun said, one. I, I'm a, I'm a, I would be a tourist in both places. So, Well, um, we would encourage our listeners to get at us with our answers at, uh, at our Twitter handle anyway, which is uh, the Brother Pod, um, or, uh, or you know, find us on our, our website and uh, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And uh, that'll do it for Albums of the Year 2016. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damian Kendall for producing. And from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian, see you next time.